The gospel for today comes from the fifth chapter of Matthew, beginning at the 21st verse. Jesus said to the disciples, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the consul. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with the accuser while you are on the way to court with them, with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eyes cause you sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for the whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, by your head for you cannot make your hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Word of God, word of life. Thanks, Bob. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, you promise to speak when your word is proclaimed. So speak today, even with hard words like this, to what we need to hear today. We trust in that spirit. Amen. A wise psychologist says, to name it is to tame it. When she works with kids and families, she explains, when we can name what we are feeling or experiencing, We can then identify it and look at it from the outside of ourselves instead of something that overtakes us from the inside. I was thinking about her wise words, and here are some examples that I thought about this week. 
I remember when my boys were two years old, they escaped Randy's reach after church one Sunday morning and ran around the welcome area like loose pinballs, running under your legs as you stood and talked after church. And then they would catch the corner of my eye and yell, poopy butt! in their loudest toddler voices. So here I was early as a pastor here at Mount Olivet, in the most public place of my work, with my kids running amok as two-year-olds will do. And then once I named it, here I am as the stage in my life as a pastor and a mom. I didn't get all stressed out about it and I could be real about it with you, and you understood. And then I could wrangle them once again, give them the attention that they wanted, and then move on. To name it is to tame it. And that is why the structure for Alcohol Anonymous is small open groups meeting regularly in places accessible in the community to provide the space to name the power of the disease of alcoholism and how it holds us and the need for a community to name the struggle and the small steps of growth with personal sponsors and others that are needed to walk alongside a life of sobriety. To name it is to tame it. I remember typing an email to my colleagues at Wells Fargo when I worked there. I wrote, I want you to know that I am no longer married and I am taking back my maiden name of Wilkie. I named the transition in my life, I hit send and I could walk the hallways no longer looking down because I had revealed both the sad ending and also the new beginning. To name it is to tame it. We have so many prayers each week about this time of waiting, the in-between times of not knowing if a lump is cancer, realizing that a transition of care is needed for a spouse or a parent as bodies and minds change, but not knowing when or where it will be. Once it is named, we are given more clarity about what comes next, albeit not what we wanted or expected. To name it is to tame it. Do you notice in all of these examples, and I bet others that you are thinking about right now, that we can't name it and tame it without a community walking alongside of us? You see, we're not supposed to live this life on our own, holding all of this inside. I'm not sure any of us were expecting Jesus to dive right into the topics of anger, murder, adultery, divorce, and keeping our promises today. But Jesus names it, doesn't he? God does not avoid the hard stuff, and Jesus doesn't negate the law. He says in the verses from last week, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish but fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Way back when God spoke the commandments to Moses, God said, do these and all will go well with you and your children. You see, God is well aware of human sin, our tendency to do and take what is good for us and not consider the impact of others. The law was given to promote life for our neighbors. And if our neighbors are taken care of, then those same neighbors will take care of us. Because anger hurts, murder kills, adultery betrays, and dismisses the worth of bodies and spirits. The divorce severs and changes futures, and not keeping our promises kills trust. But Jesus does not leave us here only as victimizers and victims. He comes to bring light, to reveal what is hidden, and for God to speak into the unspeakable. For God shows up in this world not to avoid these things, but speak life into the exact situations. The reality is that we know anger, adultery, divorce, and unkept problems not as categories, but as real-life hardships in people still in the present tense, in our own lives, in our church community, and in the world. Many people have been hurt by the church around these topics. And they have left the church not to come back thinking they were judged and not fully forgiven after a divorce, only to hear about unobtainable requirements for remarriage. The church has condemned adultery and then overlooked it in other cases to protect those in power. Organized religion for some is a nest of hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another all of which is devastating because we are all saints and sinners. And God comes to find the blessed in the broken, to heal and reconcile so that we may live again. If the church can't be about this promise of forgiveness, reconciliation, love of neighbor, and resurrection, then who will? We name it to tame it. And what we hear from Jesus today is Jesus names it to proclaim it. To say that God will go there too. And instead of being isolated or outcast in our sin and suffering, we need to be brought back into community to speak truth to receive God's grace and to be healed and to heal what is needed in the world. Rich Holloquay's words from his sermon last week are still sticking with me when Rich said, I need a community to walk with my biases, with my culture I was formed in, my default settings that pull me to comfort and civility away from what Jesus wants for me. 
For Rich, specifically, it is the ongoing work of racial equity. And he named for us last week that he cannot do this work on his own. He needs a community there where he is known to keep him accountable, a place where his gifts and belovedness join others to work for the belovedness of others. We will have specific conversations over the next couple weeks about the impact, the stories, the realities of Mount Olivet over this last year and as we look into the year that we're living in right now. The church, the Big C Church overall, is on the decline. Funding to nonprofits, including the church, is decreasing too for various reasons. And none of this is surprising to us in this post-COVID world where everything has been turned on its head. Most people look for signs of growth as signs of success. And for the church, we keep hearing the questions, how many people are coming to church? Is financial giving growing? But what if growth is also personal growth, healing, connection, finding a community where you can be real and share what is happening in your life and ask questions about faith and wrestle with questions of purpose on how you and all of us can make an impact in the communities in which we live. I find it so interesting that Matthew begins this chapter of teaching with these words. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after that, he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and teach them. You see, Jesus sees the crowds of people longing to hear that their lives matter, longing for a purpose, to know where God is in the world. And then Jesus teaches a small group. It's not about numbers of impact for Jesus. It's about proclaiming God is here person by person. And as we heed to heed the call to find our place in God's folding, unfolding story, which is our mission, and to live our vision, vision to be a community partnering with God in the world. It cannot be about being the best at everything the church deems as necessary. It is about finding the specific place and people we are called to, and then engage there. And to get there, we all need to find a way to connect in community, to know people and to name the struggles in our lives and the struggles and the shortcomings of this world. How do we heal and how can we heal? And in all this, trust and know that Jesus is there, sitting on a mountain, on a table, in our community, ready to teach and to proclaim his promise that God is here. And more than ever, 
the future will need, we will need to think innovatively, but also practically about our call here as a church community in the western suburbs with all the needs and the joys among us. In every single topic addressed today, in this section of teaching, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus names the particularities of broad categories of hurt and suffering. And this is why online and in on person, we gather to hear from Jesus. What have we heard, Mount Olivet? And then what is Jesus speaking specifically to us? To name what we lack and what is lacking, but yet to trust that the Spirit of God that formed and gathered the church thousands of years ago is still forming and gathering the church today. So we venture ahead in this wide future that awaits us. We will need to name it to tame it and to know that Jesus will name it to proclaim it. So even today, right where we are, Jesus is gathering us now with a living word and the means of grace to nourish and lead the way for the life and the world at hand. Here we go. Amen.